Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm William Friedman, and today we're studying Ketubot 36. Today, we're going to learn a fascinating sugya on a troubling topic. This sugya is particularly exciting since it talks explicitly about the underlying concerns behind the legal rulings of the sages. Often, we have to tease these out ourselves. In today's sugya, they're made explicit. We'll also talk about some of the problematics along the way, and again at the end. Although we've talked about other things these past few pages, we need to remind ourselves of this chapter's central topic. The Torah, in Exodus chapter 22 and Deuteronomy chapter 22, requires that a man who seduces or abducts an unbetrothed virgin pay a monetary fine. One of the things that the rabbis want to clarify is precisely which women fit this category. We'll soon see that, at least according to some positions, the Mishnah radically limits who fits into the category. The Mishnah on today's daf, it's about halfway down 36b, lists women who might be presumed to have been sexually active and therefore excluded from the Torah's intention in these verses. In particular, the Mishnah lists the Shvuya, a woman who was taken captive. The Mishnah in general invokes this category with some frequency. Now, whether it does so because kidnapping was prevalent or because the idea makes good legal fodder, it's hard to say. In any case, though, according to the majority opinion, a captive woman is presumed to be raped by her captors. Rabbi Yehuda, however, disagrees. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Shvuya shenifdet harehi bikdushatach af al gedola. Now, it's important to understand that the word gedola there doesn't mean adult like it usually does. It means a woman who's older than three years and one day. So what Rabbi Yehuda is saying is that a captive, a female captive, who was redeemed, the ransom was paid, harehi bikdushatach, she remains in her holiness. Now, Rabbi Yehuda seems to be fighting a widespread social suspicion of captured women. He's arguing against a prevalent view of what happens in captivity. For Rabbi Yehuda, a woman redeemed from captivity should not suffer any legal stigma whatsoever. The use of the word holiness here might also imply a technical dimension to Rabbi Yehuda's position. That takes us into our sugya which picks up right after the Mishnah on 36b. Gemara. Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yehuda v'Rabbi Dosa Amaru Devar Echad. According to Rabbi Yochanan, both Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Dosa, we'll talk about him in a second, they said the same thing. Rabbi Yehuda had the Amaran. The position of Rabbi Yehuda we're concerned about is the one we just discussed. Rabbi Dosa, Ditanya, Shvuya Ochelet Bitruma, Divrei Rebi Dosa, that there's a, the Gemara quotes it as a bright to here, but in fact it's a Mishnah in Eduyot 3.6, 
And the background needed to understand it is that Kohanim may not remain married to women who have had a sexual connection to a currently living man. According to the presumption of the majority, women married to priests who are taken captive would be forced to divorce their husbands. Recall, the majority thinks there's a presumption that they would be sexually violated. Rebidosa, however, rejects that presumption entirely. When he says that a woman who was taken captive and redeemed may continue to eat truma, shvuya ochelet bi truma, truma being the holy food that priests and their families may eat, he is rejecting the idea that anything untoward happened that we have to worry about. That we have to worry about, as reported here, Rebidosa is attacking the presumption by undermining his opponent's concerns about what goes on in captivity. True, he says, disgusting sexual things happen there. That's the next line in the Gemara. Ama Rebidosa v'chima asala aravi halaz Rebidosa says, excuse me, what did they do to her in captivity? Yes, there may have been some kind of sexual abuse, which is horrible, but why should that affect her status vis-a-vis the kuhuna? So, the point again is not about facts. We're not trying to figure out what goes on in captivity. We're not doing a modern sociological survey. Ribidosa is trying to convince his legal opponents that their stringent presumption, with its terrible consequences for women married to priests, is an unnecessary one and misguided and wrong. Now recall, Rabbi Yochanan imagines that Rabbi Yehuda and Ribidosa share a fundamental presumption, namely, that one need not assume that a captive woman was raped. As we saw, that is designed to achieve positive consequences in terms of allowing women to remain above suspicion and with their husbands. In theory, that should lead them to agree in each other's case. But perhaps that's not actually so. Amar Rabbah, Dilmalohi. Rabbah says, maybe in fact they don't agree. They're not saying the same thing. Why? Ad kan lo ka'amar Rabbi Yehuda hacha. Ela shalo yehechotei niskar. Aval hatam karabanan sevir That in Rabbi Yehuda's case of the question of a captive woman, whether she's, when she's redeemed, she's subsequently seduced, does her seducer need to pay the fine? In that case, he says, we don't need to worry about what goes on in captivity. We don't need to assume that, sh- that there was some kind of sexual violation. Because, a sinner should not benefit. And that sinner now is referring to the seducer. Someone who seduces a woman previously taken into captivity should not benefit. That's why, according to Rabbi Yehuda, he would have to pay the fine. The wife of the Kohen, however... Well, maybe in that case, we're more concerned about the kihuna, protecting the holiness and sanctity of the priesthood. And in that case, even Rabbi Huda would agree that they would need to be divorced. She could not continue to eat truma in Rabbi Dosa's language. <coughs> Rabbi continues, and he says, Inami, alternatively, Ad kan lo ka'ama Rabbi Dosa hatam, elebi truma de Rabbanan. That Rebidosa thinks what he thinks in his case about 
the wife of a Kohen who was taken captive and then redeemed because it's only Truma de Rabbanan. Post the destruction of the temple, Truma, the gift, the agricultural gift given to the Kohanim, which is holy and must be eaten in purity, that's at most a rabbinic issue. We don't have the temple anymore, and the whole institution has collapsed on a fundamental level. But Knas, getting seducers to pay fines, that remains a Torah-level requirement. And therefore, he would disagree because he's worried. I'm not sure what went on in captivity, and am I really going to take away somebody's property, i.e. the money owed to the woman in theory, if there's some suspicion that maybe she doesn't fall into the Torah's category. The Talmud is suggesting, in other words, that Rabbi Dosa might think that protecting property rights trumps preventing social stigma. The continuation of our sugya challenges the assertion that Rabbi Yehuda is concerned about preventing potential sinners from benefiting from their transgression. Amar le'abaye, v'ta'ame de Rabbi Yehuda hacha shalo yehei Abaye says back to Rabbah, wait a minute, is the Rebbe Yehuda's reason, his fundamental concern, that sinners not benefit, i.e. that seducers should not be targeting women who have these problematic or suspected sexual histories? V'hatanya, don't we have another Beraita which says, Rebbe Yehuda Omer, Shvuya shanishpeit, harehi bikdushata, afilu bat eser shanim, ketubata matayim that a Brita in which Rabbi Yehuda himself says, a woman who is taken captive, she remains above suspicion, in her holiness. Even if she's 12 years old, she gets a full, regular 200 zoos ketubah. That's the rabbinic way of saying she's treated like most other women. But that seems to be a blanket rule, not one concerned with heading off the potential for future sinners to benefit. So the Gemara responds, "Vahatam Well, that's the that's actually the conclusion of Abaye's question, right? In that case, we're not worried about future consequences necessarily. To which the Gemara responds, "Actually, in fact, we are. There's a reason specifically that we give a woman who was captured a full ketubah that is not based on presumption, but based on consequences." If such a woman did not receive a full ketubah, maybe she would have difficulty finding a spouse. The point is clear. Rabbi Yehuda is fundamentally concerned about the social stigma of presuming that a woman who was taken captive was sexually violated, and he's concerned about it in terms of her being targeted by seducers, and he's concerned about it in terms of her future marital prospects. Therefore, he ordains that her ketubah should be the usual amount in order to normalize her social status. Now, there's a lot that's fascinating here, and there's a lot that's troubling. And it's impossible to fully deal with both in a short podcast. In terms of what's troubling, there's clearly the whole substrate of the discussion that a woman's social status is based on her sexual history. I've tried to argue that Rabbi Yehuda is trying to push back against that social reality, but you might not be convinced by that. Even if you are, though, we still have to struggle with why his colleagues so blithely allow that reality to inform their legal decision-making. Now, there's much more to be said on this point, and hopefully we can address it in the coming Dapim. 
Putting aside those problematic details, though, what I think is so fascinating about this sugya is the way it explicitly looks for the underlying concerns that motivated the sages in their decision-making. Too often, readers of the Talmud are fooled by its legal formalism and hermeneutic playfulness, and they think that what the sages are doing is just some kind of game through which they demonstrate their control of text and assert their authority. This sugya is a helpful reminder that much more is going on just under the surface. The Talmud is concerned with social outcomes, and it's trying to avoid the problems that it can foresee. There's much more to be said about this as well. But at least for now, I hope the Talmudic concern with consequences can serve as an important lens for our attempts to derive wisdom from these texts. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.